oftentimes we have churches that have discipleship pastors instead of pastors who make disciples. Yep. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Practitioners Podcast, where we're applying Jesus-style disciple-making in everyday life. This episode is powered by Navigators Church Ministries, focusing on helping churches make disciples who make disciples. For more information, check out navigatorschurchministries.org. Today, we are so excited. We are going to jump in to a very important topic, the state of discipleship in the church. Justin, how are you feeling about this? Good. It's a big topic. Big topic. And I wanted to start by saying we love the church. Absolutely. All right. Like this is super important to know that um, we're going to talk about some really tough and important things. And we want you to know that it's not coming from a place of criticism because you and I are in the local church. Yep. We've devoted our lives to the local church. Right. We care deeply about the local church. In fact, we care deeply enough to talk about hard things. Because it would be easy, and it is easy, right? The things that we care about to ignore the things that, you know, maybe need some work or need some attention and, you know, to not focus on those things is really easy to do. But when you love something deeply, you not only want to be excited about the good things, but you want to give attention to the things that need attention as well. Yeah, and as we're talking about this, you might be thinking, are they talking about politics? Are they talking about some sort of language. No, we're talking about disciple making. And this is a really interesting idea because when we think about disciple making and the state of discipleship in the church, what we begin to learn is that the majority of us didn't grow up in churches that actually taught disciple making. Even even my pastor friends still struggle with the idea of disciple making. I went to United Theological Seminary. I loved it. And I had three years of education there. And in those three years, there was one class on disciple making. That's more than most places. Right, right. right. That's more, And that's more than most. And so uh, one of the questions that that led us to is why is this such a foreign concept when it's clearly a pillar of Jesus's ministry? Mm -hmm. Like when we look at the life of Christ, and one of the things we always strive to do here is look at the life of Christ his ministry seemed to be founded on disciple making as one of the key pillars. So, you know, I'm kind of curious, Justin, in your experience, um, how does some of the history of the church lead us to where we are today? Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, a lot uh, went on in church history, obviously, but I want to parachute us into kind of the time of Constantine, which is around 300, 350 A.D., Um, And one thing that happened during that time, and actually happened in 313, is that Constantine made a huge shift in what was legal or illegal in the Roman Empire. And what that was, was he decided that he was going to make Christianity legal when for the past 200 years it had been illegal and Christians had been persecuted. Hmm. And so in the span of 100 years, so he made it legal in 313, In 392, Theodosius I was in power, and he took it a step further. And so he said, not only is it legal, it's going to be the only legal religion in the Roman Empire. And so in less than 100 years, it had that shift. But to think about what happened there, we need to dive a little deeper. So what happened was Christianity uh, became compulsory. It was required for citizens in the Roman Empire 
to worship as Christians. So they had to go to the Christian temple, uh, to the church as we would call it today, and they, they were forced to attend and they were forced to be baptized. It wasn't a choice. If they decided that they weren't going to do that for whatever reason, then they faced uh, two consequences. The first was exile out of the Roman Empire, and the second was they would lose the property that they and their family had accumulated. And so what changed there was really significant because Christians then, instead of doing something out of their own um, motivation to do it, now had to do it out of an extrinsic motivation. And it really separated too, and this is something we need to get into, it separated uh, people into clergy, those who were leading the worship at the, the church, and laity, those who were there because they had to be there and surely some of them wanted to be there, um, but it's separated between professionals and amateurs. And that has deeply influenced kind of what we see today. But Tony, why, from, from that place in 300, 313, 392 AD, we kind of took a huge overview of, of just that 100 years. But can you fast forward us maybe yeah. uh, into some of the things that are relevant uh, as well today? Yeah, and I think what you're talking about is really important. And I, I know that we are going to have an episode coming up about the difference in clergy and lady disciple making. So the yep. best way to make sure you don't miss that episode is to, to go ahead and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts right now. Um, you don't want to miss any of the episodes that are coming out, but specifically that one, because it parallels this topic really, really well. And, and what happened is, is that there were people who started coming to church to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And in America, we call this consumerism. Now, and in no way, shape, or form, I don't want anyone to hear any shame in this, because I am as consumeristic as they come, right? The, I know the Amazon Prime delivery driver's name. <laughs> We, I mean, I've got an iPhone. I'm doing all the i things, right? I love being consumeristic, but it's problematic when it comes to the church because what ends up happening is, is when we think about our giving, right? When we think about money, um, we pay for things that we want. Hmm. We pay for things that we think we need. We pay for them on our terms. And when we don't get what we think we deserve out of our money, then we complain about it, right? Like, at least I do. I'll make I statements here. And um, I know I know that many of us fall into this idea. So um, consumerism is part of this belief that if you can't deliver what we want, then we'll find someone else who will. And this is a real problem when we begin to talk about the nature of the gospel because the gospel is intrinsically countercultural. Like it's, it's designed to go against all of that consumeristic mentality. And then and then what happens is somewhere along the way, we start to meet those needs and churches grow because people like what they want, right? And there's a large number of us who like what we want. And so ch- churches grow. And then what do people do when something is successful? They steal it. They just rip it right off, right? And so now we've got all of these churches who are modeling after one another because of growth, a consumeristic mindset. I, I even think about Sunday school. Did you ever go to Sunday school, Justin? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. everybody yeah. did, right? And we have this incredible Sunday school class, and people go there all the time. And I know people who have been in Sunday school longer than I've been alive times two. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with Sunday school. And yet it lives in the tension of Jesus-style disciple-making because it's naturally consumeristic. Someone is teaching and someone is listening. Mm-hmm. And Jesus 
didn't teach people to listen. He taught people to teach. And so that, that goes back a little bit to that clergy-laity divide, right? And so yeah. it's not just clergy-laity, it's professional amateur, right? And so when people just come to attend or function as consumers in any sort of system, they are coming to get something from those experts mm-hmm. that know something or have something that they don't have and oftentimes feel like they can't become that because their expertise is in something else and in our modern society expertise normally follows vocation yeah right and so a doctor is not going to walk into a church typically and think well yeah i can know you know things that the pastor knows i can be become um a follower of jesus in such a way that the pastor doesn't have a relationship with christ that is qualitatively different than my own absolutely right and so that plays into all that right yeah and and what i think really kind of encapsulate this whole next part of the movement of of the church is that the church has done a really good job of teaching people how to go to church and they haven't done a great job of teaching people how to follow Jesus hmm. and and it's it's both difficult to say and important to hear because when we begin to teach people to follow Jesus we'll never have to worry about a full church hmm. and that's a hard I mean, I really like that statement, but it, just trying to wrap my head around it, right? So for most people in their life, they have equated church involvement, church attendance with following Jesus. But, but what you're saying is that, that we can go to church and yet not meet Jesus or not even be following Jesus in the church. Is that correct? Absolutely. And, and I mean, that was kind of a little bit of my own story growing up. Hmm. Tell, tell us about that. What, what was that like for you? So when I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and, and I think that the Catholic Church is beautiful, and it's full of liturgy. And what, what I'll tell you is, is that it, it wasn't until there was a youth minister who poured into my life to teach me how to follow Jesus that I really began that personal, intimate relationship. So what did I do in church? Well, I did what a lot of cultural Catholics do, right? Sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand, kneel, repeat, hmm. right? Take the communion, get out. If it lasts for more than an hour, it counts for two weeks, right? Like, <laughs> right. I, I mean, I want, I want a seven-minute homily that's meaningful, thought-provoking, and is still only seven minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the nature of the Catholic Church. And it wasn't until someone taught me how to follow Jesus, and I got into his word, and I got into a little bit of church history, and I began to own the faith versus just viewing the faith, right? You see the mm-hmm. difference? Mm-hmm. I'm now owning the faith, and then this is what I learned. I learned every word in the Catholic liturgy has been poured over. It's been prayed over. It's been thought about and based in scripture or church history for its entire existence, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm no longer a practicing Catholic, but what I love about the Catholic Church has been enhanced by my walk of following Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. has taught me about why the Catholic Church does the things in the liturgy that they do, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. And and there have been a lot of men in my life who've poured into me to help me see that with with good eyes. Hmm. So I mean, that's a little bit about my story. I, I, I'd yeah, be that, interested in hearing yeah, yours too. Yeah, that reminds me. I mean, just hearing yours, there's so many parallels with your story and mine. So I was, you know, in church every Sunday. It was part of our family culture. Um, there was a time when when I tried to rebel against that. I was probably seven or eight years old. And I told my dad, I'm not going to church. Why not? Well, I don't want to go. Well, okay. And he said, well, just get dressed and we'll talk about it. 
Now that's a that's a strong dad move, right? That I didn't understand at the time. So I'm like getting dressed. All right, we'll we'll hash this out after I'm dressed. And then he comes back in the room and he says, "Okay, it's time to go." I said, "I'm not going." And I literally wrap myself around a corner of the bed um, so that I wouldn't have to go. That's how committed I was to not going. And my dad peeled me off, and away we went. Um, for me, I didn't. Church for me growing up was not something I enjoyed. It was something to be endured. Mm. And the reality was um, I didn't enjoy it because I didn't understand what was happening. Much like you said in your story, it was sit, stand, kneel, all that. But, you know, I wasn't in a Catholic church. We weren't doing all that. But it was, you know, lots of music that was just okay for me. And then somebody gets up and, and speaks for a long time, and I caught some of it, and one in, interested in other parts of it. And, you know, there's a small part I liked probably, but, sure. um, you know, what it did um, from, from the time I was a small, uh, small boy until I went off to college, really I think it neutered Christianity for me. Mm. And what I mean by that is it reduced Christianity to uh, this is a set of rules that you have to follow if you're going to be a Christian person, if you're going to um, say that, that Jesus is somebody that has some relevance to your life. And then there's other things that you don't do. And yeah, you're going to mess up sometimes. And when you do, you know, you need to pray and God will forgive you. And, you know, to me, it was reduced to that. And I'm not suggesting that, that my home church, that's what they were preaching uh, or what they were doing as a whole. But, but at a local level, my own experience, that's what I took out of it. And it wasn't until, much like your story, it wasn't until somebody began to personally invest in me and help me to understand what does it mean to read the Bible? What does it mean to pray? How do we do that at a practical level? That I really began to see that Christianity was so much bigger and more powerful than I ever could have imagined. Mm. To the point, we, you know, at that point, carrying on until now, you know, there is nothing... Uh, that I can give my life to that has the resonance and depth of meaning that following Jesus does. And I cannot do that if I'm not connected to a body of believers that's doing that together because Jesus modeled it, right? Sure. So back to that idea. Yeah. We love the local church, but um, but too often local church is, is, has all these historical cultural influences that are kind of clouding uh, the things that Jesus has taught us to do. Yeah, I, I oftentimes believe and think that that most local churches, not even with malice in their heart, create idols. And, and it's not idols because they want to worship something else, but it's idols because they've just lost sight of Jesus. Hmm. And and I think it's uh, we see this in Scripture a lot too. When when anytime the Pharisees talk to Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Right, they get very legalistic about it, and because it was their church culture, right? And and we may not be healing on the Sabbath here, right? What we might be talking about is what should go on the altar, right, or what should go in the back of the room, or what the music decibel should be at, right? And we create these altars, and Jesus says, Jesus says, wouldn't you wouldn't you save your own ox or sheep on the Sabbath, or wouldn't you feed them to water? And mm-hmm. d- doesn't this person deserve that? And he what he does is he takes the paradigm that church culture is the most important thing. And he shifts it to saying, following me is the most important thing. Having Jesus in your heart is the most important thing. So he's trying to reframe, right? Time and time and time again, keeping the main thing, the main thing. 
So, Tony, you've been a pastor here at Restoration Church for, what, six, seven years now? Yeah. Um, how do you do that as a pastor? How do you continue to keep the church from, from moving down that road where it's, you know, kind of unintentionally moving towards idols and keep reframing the main thing to be the main thing? I, I think that there are a couple things that, that all pastors and really church leaders need to know as we think about this, right, is... Um, church involvement, and this is our big action step, church involvement is not equal to being a disciple. Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, it, and committed to the mission of Jesus is, is what it means to be a disciple, mm-hmm. right? And so in the local church, as a church leader, I'm responsible, at least part of, partly responsible, for bringing that intentional language into the church. Mm-hmm. So when I preach, I need to preach that message, Right? right, I need to preach a message that says, "Hey, you're the ecclesia, the called out people of God. You're the church. Right? It's not a building. It's, this is it. This is what Jesus cares about. You are what Jesus cares about. He does not care about this building. So, I, you know, that's one thing. Right? We we create culture um, by doing this sort of thing by in, intentionally building in language. Uh, the other thing is is and, and this is uh, was a struggle for me early on. One of my biggest regrets is we have to, as church leaders, start making disciples immediately. And, and let me expound upon that. When I first got to Restoration, I was so worried about building this um, big church or, or breathing new life into a church that was in a, a, a weird season that I was focused on what, I, what could I do to get people here, mm-hmm. which it worked. I got, I got some people here, right? right? And the church saw some growth right away. And so what did that do? Well, it did exactly what it did in in the consumeristic culture that we talked about. Right. It brought people here, and then I had no disciples to disciple them. Mm-hmm. And so as a leader, I, I would challenge you, and, and this is a challenge that Justin gave me five or six years ago, tie your week in disciple-making relationships, right? Intentionally make disciples. So, so be in the ministry, like actually do it. Be intentional about the language. And then the third thing is, is to cast vision uh, of what a culture of disciple making could look like with a team of people, mm-hmm. right? And so you can't be the only person that carries this vision of church ownership. It has to be a team of people who are more than just involved in the church. They're committed to following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and being committed to the mission of Jesus. And that's got to come out of the senior leader as well, right? Because Absolutely. oftentimes we have churches that have discipleship pastors instead of pastors who make disciples, yep. right? And really every pastor, every, not only every pastor, but every follower of Jesus, every disciple should be about making disciples mm-hmm. as a primary um, part of what they're doing in their faith life and their walk to follow Jesus. That's why we say, if you're going to be a disciple, you're following Jesus, you're being changed by him, but you're committed to his mission, and his mission was to make disciples. And so we, we can't miss that. And I think part of the reason the church is in, in the state that it's in today is because we have missed that and substituted other things for that for generations. I love it. I love it, and I'm, I'm so happy that we're having this dialogue today. And I also know that we have, uh, well, you specifically have a brand new resource coming out about this. Uh, it's an ebook put out by a group that we're both very familiar with, discipleship.org. Give us the name. Tell us a little bit about the book. Yes, it's uh, called The Foundations of a Disciple-Making Culture, and it stems from observation that I have made in working with 
numerous churches over the years that um, oftentimes we can get to a place where we know, okay, I need to start making disciples, but we blast off into doing it in programmatic ways without the proper foundation. And it, it generates a lot of momentum, but then three to five years down the road, it all kind of falls in on itself. And then we're back to square one. And so the book really looks at how do I develop a foundation that's going to be strong enough to support a disciple-making culture once it begins to unfold in the local church. I love it. Where can people pick up a copy of the book? So there's two places. You can download it for free. The first is navigatorschurchministries.org, and the second one is discipleship.org. It's the same book, two different locations, so you can go download it uh, whichever place you choose. Super excited about this. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Remember, uh, the big takeaway for today's episode is that we are called to make creators, uh, 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 we are called to make owners of the faith, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Hey, please do us a favor. As you're downloading Justin's new ebook, leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It does help get the word out about what God is doing through this podcast. If you found this episode particularly helpful, do us a favor, share this with somebody who's in church leadership, and let's see what we can do to continue to spark the revival about uh, creating disciples who can create disciples. 